Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. What are you hoping for? What gets you up in the morning? Is it your job? Is it the thrill of a new day? Is it to see the sunrise? Or for me, it's several hours after sunrise, you know. But what gets you up in the morning? What is it that propels you to continue, especially when life becomes, you know, a drudgery? It just becomes a routine. Sometimes it becomes difficult. But sometimes you just want to stay in bed, right? You know, you ever have any of those mornings? You know, say it's just seven days a week? Just that's all, just seven days a week? What motivates you to keep on going? Especially when life is difficult. I think many of us have probably have found that challenging this last year. As many of the things that we look forward to, many things that we hope for, many things that we desire to do, uh, is something that's been shut down. You know, all the things that we used to tell our family about, hey, California is a wonderful place to be. We have all these things to do. Well, we still have the weather. If you can get out and enjoy it. So what motivates you? What's your hope? seems like we live in a world today of hopelessness, especially this last year. Religiously, culturally, politically, people are wondering what's the use. It just continues to go on. It seems to be getting worse every year. We can't even talk to each other any longer. Half the time we're talking using different languages, using the same words, but the words don't mean what they used to mean. The dictionary changes all the time. And like Pandora's box, we can feel hopeless. You've heard me tell this story about Pandora's box before, right? That's that Greek and Greek mythology. It was this box that was given to Pandora. And then it was all the evils with a few blessings that was given to her. And she was given it to her by the gods. And so she opened it up and all the sickness, all the disease, all the evils of the world escaped. And when she realized what she did, she shut the box very quickly, leaving hope its final contents. Hope not being able to escape into the world, trapped. And sometimes life can feel that way. Yet even in this difficult world, in our stressful lives, hope still lives, right? We, we all have some type of hope. The world uses that word many times. For many of us, hope is a source of strength and motivation. It's what gets us up. It helps us to keep going when things are difficult. We have hope in a goal or a dream. There's something to attain, It could be a better future. It was to finish school, maybe provide better for your family, a positive change in your life or maybe a relationship. Maybe it's stability or recovery from maybe a a sickness or maybe an addiction or some type of habit that is just ruining your life and your families. Or it could be just healing. But what exactly is hope? What is hope? Is it a faith in myself or some circumstance or something else? Is it something that you and I can make happen of our own will? Or is it all up to fate? Is everything outside of ourselves and we are just puppets? As one man said, we're actors on a stage. Or is hope just wishful thinking? I hope. I hope this happens. I hope this comes to be. Is hope recognizing that the outcome is sometimes out of our hands? One young lady defined hope as a feeling or state of being that one day, that one day things will get better. 
Is that what your dream is? Is that what your hope is? That one day things will get better. But how does things get better? And when is that one day? And what do you need to do to make that happen? That feeling or state of being can be captured by the old phrase, one day my ship will come in. That was that old phrase that one day my ship will come in and and I'll receive my fortune. I'll be able to get out of debt. Life will be great. That's the major selling point of the lottery. Just two bucks, right? Three bucks, a hundred bucks, $200. You just win that lotto and everything is going to be perfect. Yet hope needs to be based on something or someone or just becomes wishful thinking. And I think that's how many people define hope, just wishful thinking. The fulfillment of our wants, our desires, our dreams, our aspirations, they need to be anchored or it just becomes elusive and unattainable. And some of you that have spent maybe a few more years as I have or others, you say, yeah, I can attain to that. I, I agree to that. There's been things that I've hoped for that it seems like I'm in the same place I was 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road. One question that comes to mind while asking others about hope was this. Are faith and hope interchangeable or are they different? We use those terms sometimes. I have faith in, I have hope in. Well, what do people mean when they say they have faith and they have hope? We say we have faith, we have hope, but what are they? What do they consist of? Look here to the monitor real quickly. I want to share with you is that faith and hope have a different biblical connotation than I believe the world does. You see, faith biblically is not a belief in ourselves or others. It's not pulling yourself by your own bootstraps. It's not a faith in your own strength, in your own courage, in your own uh, ingenuity. But faith is a confident trust in the promises of God. That's the faith when it says that we come by faith alone in Christ. It's, It's believing that God is faithful to his promises. And I trust that I have a confident trust in that. Whereas hope is not a wishful thinking, which many times the world, I think, mixes it in with. But hope is, is a confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises. The world does it like this. Have you ever had your child come to you or maybe you've done this? I know you're going to say no, but dad, can I? What do we always say? Well, if you're already asking that way, you know what the answer is. But it's that confident expectation. And I want to ask you this morning, do you have a confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises in your life? Do you have that type of hope? Do you have that type of faith, a confident trust that God is faithful to his promises? So your, your faith and your hope cannot be in yourself. It cannot be in your spouse will provide you happiness. It will not be in the, 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 the use of your family or any other type of thing in your life. But it all must be found in God. Both are a gift from God. Faith and hope. Faith, again, is not something that you and I conjure up. And the world uses it in that way, which is something that they can conjure up. They must draw more strength from themselves. But no, but faith and hope is a gift from God. And it's based on the person and character of God. You see, people are hoping for a financial savior, a political savior, a relationship saver. A career, a retirement, a satisfaction, someone who'll come and make all of their dreams come true. 
However, what you and I truly need is a true Savior to put our faith and hope in. And this morning, I want to narrow down to two, three, to two, three things that I believe encapsulate all of our hopes and our dreams or aspirations. And the first one you're going to see here on the monitor is restoration. You and I desire restoration. We are aware in some way in our mind, and our heart, we are aware that things are not as they should be. We look upon this world and says, this is not how the world should be. We recognize that things are broken, many times beyond repair. And we desire healing, recovery, and a better life. Number two, we, we desire mercy and grace. We are aware that we do not want what we deserve. We know that we deserve something less. And we desire something better. Shame and guilt rule and paralyze our decision-making in life. And many people are, are struck by that because of past choices and shame and guilt is a leading cause of addiction and problems in life because they're trying to medicate it. They're trying to forget. They just don't want to consider it any longer. Or it's tearing up relationships because, uh, you know, the world has told us, is, well, if you have problems, it's your parents' fault or it's the environment's fault. And, and some of that may be true, but yet it never resides within us. We're not responsible for our own choices many times, they would tell us. But yet we know they are. You've heard me say, we look in the mirror deep into our eyes. And we know things are not as they should be or how we want them to be. But also we have a hope of righteousness and justice. Boy, this one truly comes alive in this day and age. Actually, all three of these. We're aware that evil exists. And we long for fairness and accounting to make things right. And this one is in the forefront, right, of, of our papers. Just what we suffered here in Orange, just you know, a mile and a half or so from here. With the mass shooting just there on Lincoln near Gazelle. Shooting in in. Uh, Atlanta, and I think there was, I, I, there was one in the Capitol or just a stabbing. We just see this, right? We just see all these things going in, and we desire mercy and justice. And, and many of the ways the world is trying to answer these things uh, seem to be good, but yet they're finding themselves outside of what truly is the hope and faith. Because it's not based on God. It's based on what you can do for me or what I can take from others or how I can gain a pound of flesh or reparations from someone else to pay someone else. But in the end, it doesn't satisfy. So how do we get to this point? Well, I want to point out in the beginning, life was not hopeless. Scripture tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was a time when, when life was good, very good. Hope was alive. God was in the garden. Pastor Milton Vincent in his Gospel Primer. Again, if you've never gotten a copy of this little booklet, please see me. I want to give one into your hands today. He sums up the words of Scripture when he writes that God is immense beyond our imagination. He measures the entire universe with merely the span of his hand. He's unimaginably awesome in all of his perfections. He's absolutely righteous, holy, and just in all his ways. 
He's been unbelievably good and merciful to us as the creator and sustainer of our life. We, we, we forget about that. We think sometimes that, oh yes, well, God created all things, but he's the sustainer of our life even at this very moment. Every breath, every heartbeat, every function of every organ of our body is a gift each moment, each second from him to us. And that every legitimate pleasure that you experience is a gift from his holy hand to you. It's common grace. All that you are and all that you owe is to him. For he is the all in all. Our life in every way is and will continue to be utterly dependent upon him. Whether you believe in him or not, your life hangs in his hands, in his goodness, in his righteousness. And this wonderful God is the most supremely worthy object of admiration, honor, and delight in all the universe, he writes. And he has created us with the intention that we might glorify him by finding our soul's delight in him and by living in joyful obedience to him in all of our ways. Scripture, you see, points to a God that is both simple and complex, creative and inventive, intelligent and purposeful, the source of justice, righteousness, love, and mercy. It cannot happen except from his hand. He created man to rule over his creation and to look to God as the supreme object of admiration. However, continuing in the gospel primer, the writer captures scripture's description of a rebellion against a holy God. For he captures scripture when he says, I could not have failed this great God more miserably than we have. Instead of giving thanks to him and humbly submitting to his rule over our lives, we have rebelled against him and have actually sought to exalt ourselves above him. When he said, take and eat the serpent to Eve, that was the temptation. You will be as God. Going our own way and living according to our own wisdom, we have broken countless times either the letter or the spirit of every one of God's Ten Commandments. So why is this world the way it is? If it was very good, what happened? Sin, our rebellion against an almighty, holy creator. Looking back on the monitor here, Wayne Grumman defines sin. It's a failure to, conf- uh, to conform to God's moral law and our nature, attitude, and actions. And hold that up just for a moment. You and I need to understand that because usually what we think is, is, is it's our behavior, right? That's what we focus on. That's what we put people in jail for is because of their behavior. It's why we put little kids in timeout or in a chair, right? It's because of their behavior. And so we want to change it. But all you're doing is, is modifying behavior for a time. All, all we're doing here with racial justice at this moment is asking people to change their behavior. But the, the thing is, is we are who we are because of our hearts. The Bible says it's not our behaviors that condemn us. It's, it's our heart because our heart, everything comes from the heart. It's because our hearts are evil. The Bible tells us the, the heart is desperately sick, sick. It's wicked. Who can know it? But then you say, well, then I can change my heart. So we, we do all these, you know, we do all sorts of different things to try to change people's hearts. And by the way, let me just give you, for those who are parents here, we have a lot of uh, young parents with young children. Your discipline has not, cha- has not been completed until you help change the heart. Do, do heart work, not behavior. Work towards their heart. But see, it's not just their heart. 
problem is, is our nature. We are born into sin. As scripture says, a leper cannot change his spots. We are who we are. When people look at me and say, can you believe people did this? Sinners are going to sin, man. I mean, why are we surprised that there's murder, adultery, killing, lying, gossiping, rancor? Why? We're sinners. I would be more surprised if a little three-year-old did not act like a three-year-old. That's who they are. So, so we need something. We need a savior. With, without that, our hearts are desperately wicked. We are without hope. Thinking myself to be wise, Pastor Vincent says, I have shown myself to be a fool. There are many people who think they're wise, but in essence, they're truly fools, for they have said there is no God. Because of our arrogance, God has every right to damn me to the everlasting experience of his terrifying wrath in the lake of fire. And I have to tell you, even in churches and pulpits, you can't say that any longer. Hell has gone by the wayside. That, that, that's foolishness. That's silliness. Those are myths. And here's something that may surprise you. Christ spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. To warn us that it is real. And God's judgment is coming upon a people that have rejected him. The penalty of our rebellion against the creator is death. That's what he warned him in the, garden, in the garden. Do not eat or you will surely die. Milton Vincent goes on, so as for myself, apart from Christ, I am bound by the guilt of my sins. All of us are born in chains. We are enslaved. Enslaved to our various lusts and pleasures, the power of sin. And apart from Christ, we're already deserving of and destined for eternal punishment in the lake of fire completely unable to save ourselves, even to make my own, one iota of contribution to my own. There is nothing that I can do to make myself right with God. There's nothing that I can do to appease God. We all, we all come short of the glory of God. That's why we have so many different religions. They're all trying to make themselves right with God. It's our way of justifying ourselves before a holy God. I'm not that bad. Look what I have done. Look what I am doing. Dr. Michael Vlock, a professor up at Masters, describes the disobedience of Adam and Eve as a statement of autonomy and a declaration of independence from the Creator. And that is where you and I have planted our flag. Adam and Eve doubted God's truthfulness. They doubted God's goodness. And they focused instead on their own desires. And before we, we blame and criticize and condemn our first parents, we have to understand that you and I are doing that each and every day whether in our waking or unwaking moments. We stand loudly with them. We are an autonomous. We make our own decisions. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. Instead of working and cultivating the earth, Adam and Eve's rebellion opened the door to sin that has been destroying all of creation since. Spiritually, relationships, physically and mentally. That's what's wrong with the world today so what you and i need is the gospel the good news and that's what the resurrection that we're observing today is all about the gospel is not about self-esteem about feeling better about yourself it's not about self-realization finding the real you your real identity 
It's not about self-improvement, learning how to be a better person. That's many reasons why people come to church for these very things. Self-righteousness, earning my own salvation. Look at how good I am and how good I'm doing. To many, Christ is is just a solution to the problem. You know, just add Jesus and stir, right? To any problem you have. You got a marriage problem? Just add Jesus. You got a financial problem? Just add Jesus and a little bit of pyramid marketing scheme. And you got it, right? Draw three circles, Amway, you're there. That's what Jesus has become. He's a a therapist or he's a a source of moral conduct and he's not a savior. It's just the Sermon on the Mount and it's just the good words of Jesus. It's not all that Jesus said. They see the gospel as a quaint story or intolerant of people's lifestyle and choices. No, the gospel is much more than that. I'm here to share with you this morning is that the gospel is the basis for your hope and faith. And without the gospel, we are lost. We are without hope. I want to share with you the three promises of hope that's in the gospel. Three promises of the hope, as you see here in the monitor, the promise of a redeemer to restore all things. Remember, we, we, we want restoration. So what we see here is that there's a promise of a redeemer to restore things the way they were from the beginning when it was very good. Scripture tells us immediately after Adam and and Eve sinned, God begins to lay upon them the curses, the the penalty of their sin. But he says this in Genesis 3.15, the first words, the first time the gospel is given, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking of the serpent serpent that represented Satan. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Speaking of Jesus, one of the greatest moments in, in, in movie dim. I don't, I don't know if that's a word land in movie dim, but we'll use it. I remember going to Saddleback when they first, uh, when the passion first came out and Don and I were invited to a, a sneak preview before it went to the, um, went to the theaters. And so it was a kind of a rough cut. The music and the sound was a little bit off, but we were sitting there and, and you, I don't know if any of you have seen the movie. I think most of us have. I don't know if you've seen it le- recently, but it starts in the garden. <clears throat> and I think his use, by the way, of Jesus saying, praying in Aramaic was powerful because even though I did not understand exactly what he's saying, they, at that time, I don't even know if they had the words yet on there because I know they did put the caption on there later is you just hear him pray, and, and he's in Gethsemane, and, and Jesus is, is praying there, and it's so powerful, right? And, 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 and he's doing this, he keeps intercutting with a, a snake in that garden, creeping up to you. Remember the story? And then when Jesus gets up, he steps on the serpent's heel, and I just got chills as I was come because I, I was brought back, and I thought, wow, he, he, what a great way of bringing that into a visualization, I can't say the word, to visualize it. And so that's what we're seeing here is the first gospel given. Since our first parents rebelled against this holy, wonderful creator, Paul tells us in his letter to the Roman church that we too are guilty and that we are without excuse for Adam's sin has been passed down throughout the generations. Like Adam, you and I have sinned, meaning that our nature, our attitudes, and our actions are marred by a rebellion and a desire to be our own God. And if you would take a moment and not be offended by what I said, you would realize that what the Bible here is saying is true. You are your own God. 
You have declared it. It's in our hearts. Because of this, God's wrath is poured out on all of creation, man, animal, and earth alike. You and I need a redeemer to redeem us from this rebellion. We need a redeemer to restore all of creation. And God promises to do so in Genesis 3.15. This is the hope of the Old Testament. It is the hope of the prophets. It's the hope of the Jewish people. And God fulfilled that promise when he sent his son, Jesus, in John 3.16. We know this verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only uh, son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. God is a restorer of all things. And one day he will restore us to the true beginning. Once again, the world will become the garden in the new heaven and the new earth. Number two, the second promise is God God promises to release his children from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. He promises to release us from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. In Colossians chapter two, you might see this here, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him. One of my favorite passages of scripture. Underline this in your Bible. Make it sure it's there. Having forgiven us all of our past, present, and future. How? By canceling that record of debt that stood against us. He knew that we could not pay it. So he said it is finished. It is canceled with its legal demands. Satan cannot accuse us any longer. It falls on deaf ears as he looks at us and says, not guilty to those who are under Christ. This, speaking of the legal demands, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them in the open chain by triumphing over them in him. Take a moment, if you would, and think of all the troubles the difficulties and problems of life that you may be even experiencing this last year or so. Maybe just this last week, maybe even this morning. Where do they come from? Why is there hatred, angry, wars, temptation, sickness, and death? It's because of sin. It's because of sin. It's destroying us from the inside out. Suffering is now a hallmark of life now. We all bear the sin or the scars of sin in our lives. We hope for relief, an end to our suffering and pain. And so we put our hope in maybe marriage or or in this person or in that great job or in that college education or the retirement. But yet we get there and we find out that it too is an empty box with not much in there. What we need, though, is not temporary relief. That's all a stimulus is. It's all a government program is. It's all a help from a parent is. It's just temporary relief, right? We go from one thing to the next. But what you and I need more than a temporary relief is we need a final solution. An end to the devastating effects of sin in our lives, in our marriages, and in our families, and in our world. And that promise is God. 
The Apostle Paul writes that while we are still in this tent, speaking of of this earth and this body, we groan, being a burden, and that we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Yes, even creation itself is groaning, waiting, it says, for the adoption of sons. The problem is that we need our sins wiped out, not judged by God. The solution is found in Christ who suffers and bears our penalty, but also earns our righteousness. In Ephesians 1, 7, Paul writes that in him, speaking of Christ, we have redemption through his blood, through his death, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of God's grace. But forgiveness is not enough. You and I know this. We can forgive people when they trespass against us, when they hurt us, but yet we still don't always trust them, do we not? In some ways, that relationship is struggled, right? There's still some pain there. Might be some scar tissue. But here's what. We need need both God's forgiveness and God's righteousness. For the only way that we mean God's presence is not just forgiveness, but we need a righteousness. But the Bible says all of our righteousness are what? Are his filthy rags. They're not worth anything to him but to be discarded. Paul writes in Romans 5, 18 to 19, I believe this might be on the monitor. He says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. In other words, when Adam sinned, sin passed to all men. So one act of righteousness, speaking of Jesus' act of righteousness, leads to justification. Now, justification is a declaration of not guilty. It does not make you right, but it's a declaration. But it says to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. But as Brandon then led us in singing just a little bit ago in Jesus Messiah, so that that one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. It's only through Christ that you and I will ever stand before a holy God and hear himself say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You will not be able to do it on your pedigree, on your heritage, on your grandmother's Bible, or for any good work that you do here on earth. Through Christ's obedience, we are made right with God. His 33 years of living, of obeying God perfectly, we call that the active obedience of God. We are now free from both the penalty and power of sin. In other words, you are, if once you accept Christ, you are no longer under the penalty of sin, but he also says you no longer are under the power of sin. In other words, you now can say no to sin. You can fight sin. Yes, we fail. But we also have forgiveness for that as we confess. One day we'll be free from the presence of sin. If Christ came, if he rose, then why is the world still like this? Because we're still dealing with the presence of sin in our lives. Each and every one of us. The church should be a place of restoration, by the way, a place of righteousness and justice, a place of mercy. And in it, God has given us how you and I should live so that we can give people uh, an idea of what the new heaven and new earth. But even in our small church, right, we still have sin. We still sin against each other. We see that in our marriages and our families. It's that cold shoulder. It's that sharp tongue. It's that roll of the eye. It's it's still the vestiges of sin in our lives. But one day we will be set free from that presence of sin. 
with this, we come to the point that Jesus came in the flesh to die for us. He came to exchange our sins for his righteousness. Our redemption and restoration hope come from the death of an innocent who comes and dies for the guilty. Now you and I must pause a moment to consider the high cost of God's plan to redeem us. The suffering, the pain, the ridicule, the rejection Jesus underwent for us. One of the most wonderful words ever to be uttered were the words of Jesus when he said, it is finished. The Gospel of John records that immediately after saying these words that Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So there's a promise of a Redeemer to restore all things. There's a promise to release his children from the penalty and the power and the presence of sin. That's the mercy and grace that you and I long for. Let me tell you, friend, if you're having shame and guilt today, Take it to the cross for he'll take it. If you're desiring mercy, God will give it. Would you see that you do not have to pay for the sins of your past and your present and your future? That he can make you a new creature with a new nature. Thirdly, is the promise of return of Jesus as Christ or Jesus Christ as king. And then there he will rule in righteousness and justice. Amen. Finally, it will come to earth. Justice and righteousness will be here. In John chapter 14, Jesus gave us these wonderful words. This is the confident expectation. And I say confident expectation when I say hope because it's not wishful thinking, but it's a confidence that I expect it. It will happen. This is what Jesus said. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. I pray that your hope is in that promise. You can trust that Jesus will do as he says, God is faithful to his promises. Scripture tells us that Christ will come again. He will return. Now will he come to rule in righteousness and justice, but also to renew and to heal. The Apostle John writes in Revelation 21, 3 through 4, this might be here on the monitor. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, Emmanuel. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every way, every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be no more mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. These promises are the Christian's hope. It is our motivation. It is the source of our joy. It is what gets us up and continues to drive us each and every day. At least it should be. These three promises find their fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. These promises are not based on wishful thinking or leap of blind faith. No, our hope is based on the resurrection of Christ. Hence why this day is the most important holy day for a Christian. Every day is resurrection day, by the way. But we, we take this moment to remember it, to celebrate it, to observe it. In 1 Peter chapter 1, 3-5, through 5, we learn that these promises are not based on just intellectual facts. 
though that is part of it. They're not based on flights of fancies, of myths or legends. In 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, we read this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading that's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The resurrection of Christ is more than just a day that we observe. It's more than just an event. It's more than just a holiday, a day to get off of work or, or, or just to enjoy ourselves, but is a day in which we look forward to and recognize that it is our hope. It is our salvation. And the resurrection is unique to the Christian faith. No other religion claims that their leader, their savior has been raised from the dead. And without the resurrection, Paul writes that if Christ, we have hope in this life only, we are, we are of all people most to be pitied. Without the resurrection, our faith is futile. Our hope is based on nothing more than wishful thinking. However, God tells us that as by a man came death, by a man came also the resurrection of the day. In other words, we too will resurrect from the dead. For as Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Paul Beasley Murray in his book, The Message of the Resurrection, writes that the Easter gospel is good news for, first, for four reasons. He says the first place, the Easter good gospel, excuse me, is good news because it proclaims that Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. The Lord appeared to Peter and the other disciples. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the second place, it's good news because it proclaims a risen Savior. Our sins have been forgiven. God has set his seal of approval on the crucified. Jesus was raised to life for our justification to, to make us right with God. Thirdly, the gospel is good news because it proclaims a glorious hope. Death has been swallowed up in victory, and we shall be with the Lord forever. Jesus has brought life and immortality to light. And you and I must recognize that, that there is a life after this, one with God or one from outside the loving presence of God. And in the fourth place, and of no less importance, he writes, the Easter gospel is good news because it proclaims a present power today. The risen Lord Jesus is present with his people today. Already in the here and now, we may begin to share in the risen life of Jesus. Even in our present moments of weakness, you and I could experience the transforming, transforming power of his resurrection. And here's the good news the resurrection is more than a past event and a future prospect, but is it a present reality that ought to be transforming our lives today to become more like him. Our response to this good news is found in John 11, where Jesus said to Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Mary said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. That's my prayer and hope, is that each and every one of you would echo her, what her words. 
We believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God who is coming to the world. Do you believe this? If so, your next step is found in Titus chapter 2, 11 through 13. You want to see how mercy and justice is done now? and You want to see how hope is given into the world now? Is when we, when, when the small body of believers do these things. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing, has appeared bringing salvation to all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, in the here and now. Waiting for our blessed hope. Not a wishful thinking, but, but the, the, the confident expectation that Jesus is coming again to make all things right. And as you and I do that, we, we bring a little bit of heaven here. We bring mercy and justice and hope here to this world. The appearance or the appearing of glory of our great God and Savior who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself of a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The church should be the leader in, in, in racial issues, in financial issues, in, in homelessness, and in immigration, and in, in, in climate care. All these things is, is we should be forefront of that because we are the ones that have the hope, the faith. Our source is found in the one who can make all of these things better, restore it to very good. All else will fail. We'll be burned away. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, and I'm near the end. The Apostle Paul quotes Jesus when he writes, In a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Here's the words of Scripture. Now is the day of salvation. Would you put your hope, your faith, in the one who can restore all things? Would you see the futility of doing it on your own, finding hope in something other than Christ? Accept your need for a Savior. Repent of your dead works, trying to please God yourself. It just does not work. You cannot do it. Trust that God has accepted the works of Christ for our salvation. This is something that he does for us. We receive it as a mercy, as a grace, as a gift. Let me ask you, what is stopping you from today from accepting this wonderful gift of God? Do not wait another moment. Tomorrow is not promised to you, nor is one more second. You don't know what today holds for you. You don't know what tomorrow holds for you. Jesus said, come to me all who are laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do not delay. Come to him today, would you please? For the believer, the command, the Bible commands us to hold fast to our confession of faith without wavering. For he has promised, he who promised it is faithful. And God encourages you, the Christian this morning, if you're here and you say, I am a Christian. God is encouraging you to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing then in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So labor for those things, the treasure that's up in heaven. Continue in the hope that you were called. If you're here this morning, you're a seeker, and you, you're just not sure you want a Savior. You, you recognize that life is out of control, and your hope and, and your faith has been, has been useless, and, it, and it's been like grasping air. 
Your response to the word of God is to repent and turn to God in faith. The Bible gives you good news that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. And that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Sometimes we make it so difficult. It's count the cost and see that he is God, that he is the supreme object of your admiration, and say, I will follow you. But how about for the skeptic? There may be some of you listening to what I've said, and you say, ah, not there. I don't get it. I don't think you, I don't think, I think you're all wet, maybe. So what's your hope based on? Scripture tells us, appointed for man to once to die, and after comes the judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. When he comes, he will save those that have accepted him. The others will be under judgment. What's your hope? Well, you could say, I I just deny it. I just believe it's wrong. I I don't believe there's a God. I don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I don't believe there'll be judgment. I believe there's just nothing when I die. That's your hope? Then you're wasting your time here this morning. You should be somewhere else just enjoying your life. Get the U-Haul to follow you along with the hearse. For that's all you will have. You may still have questions. Hopefully you're still looking for answers. But again, the hope for the believer is now that you will see that we see in the mirror dimly. But then one day we will see face to face with God. Now I know in part that I shall fully know, even as I've been fully known. I pray that God will open up your mind and heart to the reality of Scripture. That Jesus is Lord, the Savior. The Apostle Peter writes that Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest or made known in the last days for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that our faith and hope are in God. Today I implore you to respond by trusting in the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ to be right with God. For he says, as I can conclude, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. What is your hope? What is your faith? Why not today? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help share the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.